more this morning talking about the church because I've interrupted our series on Matthew um, to for this is the last week and I, I want to go for like 10 more weeks because I feel like I'm especially this morning I'm opening up a bunch of can of worms that I really want to go down these rabbit trails but I can't and you're going to have to all right um, I'm going to provoke you and and not answer half the questions you probably have that come up but I think it's important that we talk about the church and what it is. Because if we're not careful, we, we lose that, especially after the year we've had. I just went to this conference this week um, with Confluence, which is the family of churches we were a part of. It was their national kind of leaders conference and it was uh, kind of pared down smaller so they could accommodate everybody. Um, but it was really interesting that every other church and all the themes of the conference were what we're talking about. Everybody is in the same place. In fact, I would say, like, I know you, I wish I could, like, drag you there and, like, have you there for the conversations I had, like, in between <laughs> to hear from other pastors what it's like, been like for them. Let me tell you, it's been so much worse for everybody else, right? I mean, I started, like, we've actually grown in multiple ways. We've grown in number, we've grown financially, we've grown spiritually at Living Hope Church. And I was like, it was kind of like going and like talking to somebody who's had a really hard time in the exact ways that you've had a really good time. And you're having to be like, yeah, yeah, empathize. Because it hasn't like it's been easy for us, but it's been harder for other people. Imagine losing 63% of your congregation. And I mean like ghosting you. Like not even replying to your emails and phone calls. Imagine 10% of Kernersville moving away to other states. That's what San Francisco is going through. 10% of the population, not 10% of your church, 10% of, of everybody. Just So you're trying to move in and plant a church, move into the city while everyone's running away from the city, right? How would that feel? Um, it's really amazing. And so, I, did I just hear bagpipes? <laughs> I know online you didn't hear that. That was amazing. I feel like I should have, like, that's my theme music now. <laughs> Bagpipes play. All right. Um, that was awesome. Okay, so, so I just want to kind of point that out, that, that this morning I, we're a family. That's what I want to talk about. The church is the family of God in exile. I'm adding the word in exile because we're not family with everybody. And when you're in exile, we talked about that in First Peter, the idea that we are aliens and strangers, we don't belong here, and we are feeling that lack of belonging more and more and more and more. And the more you feel that way, the more you need to press into your church family, your spiritual family, because you're not family with your unchristian neighbor. You don't have that. You're, you're in the maybe, it's the, the, the human race is not a family, right? That's not enough. You need Christ. To be a family. And so you got to identify who your family is so that you can have a sense of stability. And that's what we are. So I want to start with Romans 8, 14 to 17. It says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We could also say are daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as, uh, or excuse me, a spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
So Abba would be like saying, Papa, Daddy. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He adopts us into his family. What family is the Holy Spirit in? The family of God, right? He is adopted. You have, if you're a Christian, you are in God's family. And he is the one that holds us in the family of God. So that's the dual role of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just here to give us exciting meetings, right? He, he is the one who adopts you into the family of God, and he is the one that holds you there, okay? It's not your goodness that even holds you there. So the gospel is not just avoiding hell. The gospel is, hey, don't you want to be in the family of God? Don't you want to have a perfect dad, a perfect daddy, a papa, a real and perfect in every way, loves you perfectly, disciplines you perfectly, knows you perfectly, welcomes you perfectly, loves you perfectly. That is the family of God. That's the invitation of the gospel. It's not, hey, I, I, you're, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. That is true. But it's more than that. It's, don't you want to be in the family of God? With each one of these metaphors we talked about, uh, the church is the temple, the church is the body of Christ was last week, and now we're talking about the church is the family. One of the things I've tried to point out is, yes, it's a metaphor, but it's, it's kind of more than that. Because the church is a temple. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's not just like a temple. It is. It's where God resides, right? Same thing with the body of Christ. We are, yeah, we're like a body. We're all, and it's fun to explore that, the meaning of that, but it's also like we really actually are the body of Christ. And the same thing is this idea of family. We tend to think of our biological family as our real family and our church family as a metaphorical family. And so in our minds, we put family kind of in air quotes when we're talking about church family. We feel a little funny about using that word even. It feels maybe a little weird for you to say out loud, hey, brother, hey, sister. But that's exactly the language that the New Testament uses. Consider the idea of adoption. That's Paul's idea here. And if I said to, if you, imagine if you were, maybe you don't have to imagine, maybe you actually are adopted, but imagine if you were adopted into a family, but everyone always said you're like a son or you're like a daughter. It would be insulting. You'd feel a little bit like, what? No, you actually are. It's literally what you are, and it's what you are to each other, your brothers and sisters. Think about that. If you didn't have a really good father or a really good mother, or maybe you didn't even know them, or maybe you didn't have siblings, you didn't have brothers and sisters, you do now. Like, look around. Behold your brother, behold your sister, right? Behold your mother, behold your father. Look at Matthew 3, 9 through 10. It says, and this is John the Baptist preaching to the Jews. And he says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. 
Every tree that therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus Messiah, and he is revealing to God's family that God is their father, not just Abraham. God is their father, and God will have a faithful family. He, that's what God is doing. You, can, you know, I could double the time of this sermon and go all the way back to Genesis and show you, starting with be fruitful and multiply, that the thing that God is about is having a big, happy, joyous family. And that's what he's been doing from the beginning, was creating a family, and that the whole thing about being fruitful and multiple, that's just the Great Commission in seed form. The Great Commission is not, and therefore go forth and grow large churches. The Great Commission is go make family, make disciples, make big, give me a big family, worship, a big worshiping family. That's what I want. And John the Baptist says this to his people. And of course, Jesus picks this up and says the same thing. Matthew 12, 46 to 50 says, While he was still speaking to the people, now this is Jesus, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And he said this in front of his biological mom, Mary. That's hardcore. I don't know how she felt about this. <laughs> I hope she understood it, right? I hope she got it. I hope she understood it, the thing the, connect, the real thing, even with her son Jesus, that connected her to him was that she was in obedience to the Father. And he was saying, that's our real connection. So if my mom and dad were sitting here like they are often, I would say the same thing. And as the older I get in God, the more mature in Christ I get, the more I realize how true it is that the thing that is everlasting about my relationship with my natural father is that he follows Christ, and I follow Christ, and that is what we have in common more than anything else. Same thing with my mom, same thing with my brothers and sisters. Then by the time we get to the book of Acts, <clears throat> and start in the start of the New Testament church, the term disciple is replaced by brother, sister, son, daughter, child of God, that language. So the language of discipleship, which is like a mentor-mentee kind of relationship, Imagine Jesus and the disciples, rabbi and disciples. That kind of gets replaced with this idea of the family. Family language kind of takes over, which I think is important. It doesn't mean that saying, talking about discipleship is a bad thing. But you can see that they kind of became comfortable with this idea of seeing the church as a family and referring to each other as brothers and sisters. And even Paul talks about being a father to his children. The family is not just about the top-down instruction from parent to child, mature to young. It's also about the kind of pierce, the sibling relationships in the body of Christ. All the things, all the scriptures, the one another scriptures, bear one another's burdens, love one another, build one another up. That's brother-sister family talk, right? That's not formal instructor, mentor to pupil talk, is it? That's family in a classroom, you know, your, 
your, your instructor is not there to be your buddy. Your instructor is transferring information. I think about my college professors. The difference between a college professor and a kindergarten teacher. Right? That's the difference. Even the idea of teaching takes on both forms in the New Testament. Teaching from elders to congregation and teaching one another. You see, both ideas about teaching, we're all called to teach. In some form, we're all called to teach. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 17, this is Paul picking up this idea. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as what? As my beloved children. That's not professional language. <laughs> I always imagine Paul being kind of a gruff guy, but at the, at, I think really, maybe he was occasionally gruff and intense, but he saw the people he was ministering to as his actual children. Verse 15, for though you have countless guides, which would be like a tutor or an instructor, in Christ you do not have many fathers. For I became your father. You could also translate that as I have begotten you. I mean, I would, that's, an, that's hard for me to even imagine saying to you. I gave birth to you. You go, people will start thinking we're a cult. If I start talking that way. This is Paul. It's what he, how he felt, how he saw what he was doing. It's the framework through which he understood what, what, what his ministry was was that I have begotten you in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. That's really intimate, powerful language. If you slow down and look at it. That's not a formal mentorship kind of thing. I don't and I, but I don't want to adopt that, leaving that language into the church. I'm mentoring you. What's that feel like to you? I think it feels a little formal, a little too professional. <laughs> what about I'm fathering you? You're like, well, that's creepy. Maybe we should get used to it. This is just one of many examples of Paul talking about himself as a spiritual father and those he is mentoring as his children. And we can and should also include mothers in this. Paul referred, I think women probably have an easier time with this language than men do. I don't know if that's true. Paul refers to himself as a father because he's a man. And this is all the, the context in which he says, imitate me. It's not that weird for a father to say to his young son, imitate me. Isn't that what fathering is, ultimately? Is parenting ultimately about the sum of all the speeches you've made to your children? And how well they have remembered all your speeches? Or is it more that they imitate you? They imitate the way you give speeches. They imitate the tone in which you give your speeches. They imitate that more than they remember the con I don't think my kids can remember most of the things I've ever told them. Unfortunately, it's depressing because <laughs> I've said some really good stuff. I mean, I prepared 
you know, I made them look at me while I was talking to them. Look at me when I talk to you. Okay, but my brain is not looking at you. My brain is turned off. My eyes may be physically directed at yours, but that is all that's happening. Right? It's the essence of fathering and mothering. It's the essence of that relationship is imitate me as I imitate Christ. Putting that phrase in its context makes a lot more sense to me. This is how Paul conceives of the underlying structure of the church. It operates like a family, not a business, not an institution, not an organization. It operates as a family, a family that is, I'll give you three characteristics, a family that is intimate and relational. This picture forces us to think in intimate and relational terms. These Christians are not pupils and graduates of Paul's school of ministry. Can I say that out loud? School of ministry. Not in a school. I mean, there's, edu- there's instruction that we need, right? But even that is not really a school. It's a family. These are children that he has born and he has attended to and walked with and lived with. Paul is not a professional. This is especially hard for pastors. It's very easy to become a professional because all the talk about what you do is very professional. That's what I love about Confluence. I was reminded of that again this week that nobody talked like they were a professional. <laughs> it was just like, hey, this has been hard, y'all. This has been a hard year. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Somebody help, right? That's, that was the vibe, and it was so good. Nobody stood up there going, I can tell you what you should have done because we're all professionals. Instead of that, the imagery here suggests intimate, personal, relational fathering. You can't, and I don't want to get gross here, but I think it's part of the metaphor. You can't make babies without physical proximity. And you can't raise babies without physical proximity, without living with each other. You have to be present despite modern day efforts to the contrary. You cannot do this without physical presence, at least not in the way that Paul describes it here. It's intimate and relational. It's also a family that does instruction and imitation. You see Jesus doing both. You see Jesus instructing, and then you see Jesus saying, okay, we're going to hang out, and you're going to have to, you need to act like me, you need to walk like me, you need to think like me. Paul does a lot of instruction, as did Jesus, but the model both Jesus and Paul provide us with is one of being present enough for those they instruct to also imitate. If you are not close enough to the one instructing you to also imitate them, something is seriously broken. A tutor transfers information to the pupil. A father knows that no matter how hard he tries, his children will imitate more than they remember. This is the default mode of discipleship in the church, is imitation and instruction together. I mean, if you never instruct your children, you're not a good dad either. Imagine me saying to my son, I'll send you an email about this later. But let's not talk. (laughs) So here's the question. It's a hard one. Who are you imitating? 
and who is imitating you? Somebody is, unfortunately. Probably when you're not looking. That's also what's hard. I think it's interesting that all the things that make parenting hard also make this idea of discipleship hard. They're kind of the same. All the things that are difficult. It's like you never, if, you know, if you have kids and you say to yourself, you know, this, this season of when they're young, like pre-10 years old is so hard. And when it's over, life will be easier. And then you find out when they get to be 11, 12, 13, that it's a whole different kind of hard. It's not easier. It's just different. And then they get to, you know, 18 plus, and they're just a joy. That's my 19-year-old sitting here. They are a joy, but it's a whole different kind of heart. You just sit around worrying with no control over it. And then, right, they, they get out of that, they, they get beyond that phase, and I'm sure I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm sure that's hard. And discipleship's the same way. It's the same way. It's not any easier. If anything, it's harder. This is what it means to be a family. Is to always be worried about people. It's to always be connected to people, not just when they're doing great and you feel like, wow, they're really strong and they're really mature. It's also to be there when they're being obnoxious and annoying and whiny and complaining and saying your name over and over and over again. Dad, 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 over and over and over again. You're like, just, you're wearing out my name. It's not any different. I don't want to gloss this over, like, because it, you know, the idea of family seems like a warm, and it is a warm and wonderful thing, but it also has the same difficulties as child rearing does. But this is how the church is meant to operate. Third characteristic, a family characterized by mutual affection and sacrificial care. We're not just friends. We're family. We're not just members of the same church. (laughs) We're family. I mean, I want friends. And you are my friends, but you're not just friends. Like, if my brother calls me on the phone, 99% of the time I answer it. (laughs) If he called me and said, I need you to come to South Carolina because there's an emergency or something, I'd be down there. Whatever he needs, and it's driven by our relationship is different. We're not just buddies. We're not just buddies who hang out. We're family. Imagine if you can... A perfect family. None of us have ever seen one. (laughs) All right? Nobody. Not even me. I have great parents. I have great siblings. We actually really love each other. But it ain't perfect. So just try to imagine a perfect family and consider how the siblings would act towards each other in that perfect family. And how the father and mother would act towards those children. And how the children would act towards the mother and father. Would there be any sacrifice that they would not make for each other? No, there wouldn't be. Would they eagerly desire to be with each other? Man, I really miss you. I want to I I I see you. 
really, I haven't seen you in, in weeks. I, I just want to see you. Would they be slow to get offended and quick to repent and quick to forgive? Imagine that kind of family. Would they make room in their homes and schedules for each other? Would they share meals, chores, and responsibilities with each other? Would they help raise each other's kids? Would they support each other financially as needed? Have you ever had family come and live with you? I have. It's, uh, it's wonderful and horrible all at the same time, isn't it? Like my brother... And his family stayed with us a couple of times for an extended period of time. And I look back at those times like, and, and our house is not big enough for this sort of thing. It's just not. I mean, no one had their own space. And it's the most wonderful time of getting to know each other and like really, you know, because you see how people live and, you know, at some point you're going to see my comfy pants, Right. But it's also really hard because you're giving up things. You're giving up privacy. You're giving up maybe some finances. You're giving up space. You're giving up, you know, uh, they're going to break your stuff. Um, they're going to make a mess. Like your cleaning requirements double because there's more people to make more mess and all these things. And the sanctity of your happy home is challenged. but we're family, right? I mean, what are you going to do? Say no? <laughs> but isn't it interesting how with those sorts of things, we feel like the no is more optional when it's not biological family. So some conclusions. Here come the can of worms. You need spiritual brothers and sisters and spiritual mothers and fathers and spiritual children in your life. You need all of those. So the first question is, what's lacking? Where's the lack? It's going to be somewhere. Either I don't have enough kind of brothers and sisters in my life where we can do the one another's, encourage one another, build one another up, love one another, bear one another's burdens, all those things. Or maybe it's, there's no kind of, output ministry-wise, you're not pouring into other people. You're not doing that. You're not searching out and finding spiritual children. Now, if you're a biological parent, you've got that like built into your life, right? I mean, that's your first stop. You are making disciples. It's just hopefully you're making disciples of Christ. You're pointing people to Christ. That's a whole other can of worms. So which is lacking? Like, it's important that you be honest about that with yourself. But I think you should also consider seasons of life with that question, okay? You should always have brothers and sisters. You should have more spiritual parents when you're young. And I, that, you know, I would say that's, you know, really it's young in the Lord. But often that coincides also with your age, okay? Age is, don't act like you're not whatever age you are, okay? Don't do that. Like, if you're in your 20s, say, like, I I'm a young numbskull, right? I, I just don't know what I'm doing. Like, admit it out loud a lot. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like half the time I do, and I'm pretty sure even when I do feel like I know what I'm doing, I really don't. 
Like, that's what it's like to be that age. And so the answer to that is not walk around denying that you need help. The answer to that is seek out spiritual mothers and fathers. And you should have more spiritual children when you're older. And there's a time when that shifts. I've, you know, turn, I'm 45 now. I keep saying it, practically 50. <laughs> but there is a shift that happens, right? And that's a good thing. Don't be like, oh, now I'm older and the spiritual fathers are fewer and fewer because there's fewer and fewer people that are old enough to do that in my life. Instead, turn and recognize the season you're in and start looking for spiritual children, right? And you should have more spiritual children when you're older. That's important. And to recognize the phases in life. Don't expect someone to offer this to you. Go ask for it. Don't expect someone to offer this to you. Go ask for it. Don't expect someone to ask you for this. Go offer it. Same thing, right? Make an offer. And if the offer is denied, don't get all rejected over it. Just move on. Come back around and offer it again six months later if you want to. Offer your time. Be askable and be teachable. That's what I'm saying. Be the sort of person that is available and present and very askable. You know, some people seem more askable and approachable than others. Be the one who's approachable. Figure out how to do that and be teachable. This goes back to the young. It's the curse of youth, isn't it? To think that you know everything. We all, if you have had parents of teenagers, they hit about 14, 15, and they just start to get pulled into this thing of, I know, I know more than I actually know, and then I don't need anybody. And the struggle at that age is to just realize that you actually don't know everything. And it's a constant temptation. And that continues, I think, until you're 100 years old. But it's worse when you're young. But now that I'm 45, I feel like I don't know anything. And I wish I had someone to tell me what they know. <laughs> but it's like now there's fewer and fewer people who are older than me uh, that can tell me what they know. And I'm like, oh, if I had been 20 and I had taken more advantage. And I took advantage of a lot. I had a lot of people pouring into my life in my 20s. But I think, man, if I could just go back, I'd have a lot more questions. I'd have better questions. You know, I'd be like, oh, what, what do I do when I feel like I'm an utter, total failure, right? What do I do with this? What do I do with... If you're over 40, I think you kind of know this feeling, but just hear it from me, okay? I'm not an old man yet. But just listen to my experience. Go ask for it now. Don't wait. I feel like every time I say this to this church, two or three people actually go do it. And I hear about it, like their lives change. And so I think if I just keep saying it, the more I say it, the more people go, oh, I should do that. I should just go make a phone call or just walk up to somebody and say, hey, will you just spend some time with me? I mean, there's Alan Austin right there and Debbie Austin. Why is there not a line behind them of people saying, can you just tell me stuff I should know? <laughs> Even if it's just tell me the stuff that you wish you knew. <laughs> because your lack of knowledge is more than my 
all the stuff I know. You have forgotten more than I have learned in my entire life. This church is full of people like them too, by the way. So don't expect someone to offer this to you. Go ask for it. Don't expect someone to ask you for this. Go offer it. The times in my life that have been the most fruitful in this area is when someone older than me came up to me and didn't even ask me. and just said, hey, when are we getting lunch together? I love that. How about, how about this week? What, when, when, what time are you free? Not like, hey, would you, my, like, would you like to maybe just think about possibly like us just getting together and just spending some time? No, just say, hey, what are we, when are we doing it? And, and if they don't want to, just do it once. If they, if they ghost you, don't get offended. Just move on. But make the offer. Do it. Yeah, you can stand six feet apart and have a meaningful conversation if you want to. All right. I think one of the things we need to address this morning, too, is that this past year, I think, has been hard on this idea. It strained it. And when you feel disconnected, it's hard to kind of, I'm asking for this, and you're like, I'm way down here. I don't even feel connected. And like I said last week about the body issue, is that this is what God says you are. You are family. Whether you feel like family or not. And it may be, this may be a dysfunctional family. <laughs> right? You never know it's, you're dysfunctional until later and you have perspective. But you may have some relationships, even in this church, that you feel like are not really functioning well right now. But the, the, what do you do when you're family and that happens? That's the question, right? Because God always says, this is what you are, now act like it. He doesn't say, act like it so you can be family. He doesn't say, act like family so that you can be family. He says, you are brothers and sisters, therefore act like it. So you start with this position of faith, like this is what I am. There's no escaping it. So what do you do in, when family, when a relationship between real biological family breaks, you have to deal with it because you can't unbrother, You can't unsister someone. You just are. So now you're going to have to talk because you're going to be together at Thanksgiving. So what are you going to do? You're going to have to talk about it. You're going to have to pick up the phone. You're going to have to send a text message. You're going to have to do something to say, hey, brother, hey, sister, can we reconnect? That's what you do about it. This has, I think, massive implications because one of the things that I heard this week was the way people are just sort of moving from church to church, just floating because of these kinds of issues, right? I expected so, sister so-and-so to call me, and she didn't call me for six months. Therefore, we're no longer sisters. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> right? you, maybe you're calling somewhere else, but you're still sisters. That relationship is still there, so go deal with that. Then ask the question of where you're called to be. So I want to encourage you, if, you, if we're family, if God says we're family, then this, that is no longer dependent on your connection and what you feel. It just is what you are. And so if you approach your relationships that way, you approach your connection to the church that way, I think that's the way forward for you, all right? 
No one has told me they feel that way today. I'm not talking to anyone specifically. I just know. I just know how it is. So why don't we stand up? I want to pray for us. You have your homework. Don't wait for someone to ask. Go offer. Don't wait for someone to offer. Go ask. That's your homework. So let's pray. God, I just pray right now for first for those that might feel disconnected, even for, for those that may come looking here at Living Hope Church because of something that's happened at, at their church. God, that you would bring healing to those relationships. God, that when we move around inside the family of God between church, local church to local church, God, that we would still acknowledge that those people we're leaving our family and that we would treat those relationships that way. God, I pray that brokenness would not be introduced in this season in the American church but from between churches because people are leaving broken relationships behind. And God, I pray for Living Hope Church, this local church, God, that you would firmly establish us in the simple fact that we are family. We are not just like family, we are. God, it's a time when it's so easy not to feel that way. It's so easy to feel removed and disconnected or forgotten or overlooked. God, to feel like, well, no one wants to be fathered by me. No one wants to be mothered by me. Or no one wants to father me and no one wants to mother me. I have no brothers and sisters. No one wants to talk to me that way. God, the the enemy comes in and just sows division constantly in these relationships. It's been this way forever. (laughs) But this year, it's been especially hard. So God, I just ask that there would be a move of your spirit in Living Hope Church that would establish us strongly in this area. And that as you bring pressure, downward pressure, pushing us, God, into smaller and smaller groups. God, that you would use this moment in time to show us what this can really be like. To show us that it can actually really be the way we live, that we live as family, that we welcome each other into our messes. We welcome each other into our homes. We welcome each other into our lives and we share what we have with each other. God, forgive us for neglecting this at any point. God, forgive me for ever being too professional. God, forgive all of us for not for treating each other just as buddies and not as brothers and sisters. God, forgive us for our forgetfulness. Forgive us for ever being out of sight, out of mind with each other. God, give us the courage to pick up the phone again, the courage to reconnect. God, I know it takes courage. I know it takes persistence. But God, I pray that we would be teachable people and we would be approachable people. God, teach us not to be so busy. 
with things that don't matter. Help us not to be busy with things with no eternal consequence. God, help us to be busy being family. God, help us to be ruthless with our calendars, ruthless with our priorities, ruthless with our children's priorities, willing to give up things like nicer houses, better jobs, lower tax brackets, lower tax rates, better real estate. God, I'm convicted by the idea of a church going into a city where everyone's leaving. God, help us to be those kinds of people to each other. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. See you next time.